to ask you a question. Can any of you relate to this? Um, do you ever find yourself being way too optimistic about how much you can pack in your luggage whenever you're traveling? You know, Krista and I, we have a major problem with this. We went to New York last week, and before we left, you know, it's the night before we're packing our bags, and we have a lot to pack. We got to pack for Zion, got to pack for me, for Krista, and for some reason, every time before we, we leave for a trip, we pack our bags so full that we could barely zip it closed, and it's just overflowing. We could, like, I was literally stressing and sweating trying to close the zipper on our bags. That's how much we packed it. And we know that when we travel to different cities for vacation, we're going to buy stuff. We're going to buy gifts for our in-laws. We're going to buy gifts for our friends. We're going to shop for ourselves. So many cute baby clothes that we want to get, baby toys. There's so much that we want to get. Yet, for some reason, it just eludes our mind that there's going to be no room. And so we went to New York, and we had an amazing time. We went shopping, bought gifts, and lo and behold, our last night in New York, we're trying to pack our bags, and I'm looking at all this, and I'm thinking, God, I know you are the God of impossibilities, but this is not possible. There's no way that we could pack all of this stuff into these bags, especially when we came to New York with already full bags. How many of you can relate? Maybe it's not with luggage, but I want to ask, have you ever run out of room for something. Maybe it is like us and you've run out of room in your luggage or your bags as you prepare for a trip or come back home from a trip. Maybe you've run out of room on your phone and you can't take any more pictures. Come on, for those of you who have iPhone 8s or belows, you know it's a problem. Um, how many of you have run out of room in your stomach after you've eaten an amazing meal, but you have no more room for dessert, which is actually a lie from the devil because God gave us a second stomach for dessert. In fact, I was thinking in New York, man, I, it was such a gluttonous first world prayer, but I was like, God, I wish I had two stomachs because there's so much amazing food here in New York. So many pizzas I want to try so many things I want to eat. And I was thinking, man, if we had that vial of liquid from the hunger games where you drink it, the rich people drink it and it just emptied their stomachs automatically, I would pay millions for that. Millions I don't have, obviously. But I think all of us, to some degree, have experienced what it's like to run out of room for something. But it's one thing to run out of room for something, like space in your luggage or room in your stomach. But how many of you have ever been left out because there was no more room for you? I remember in eighth grade, we took a class trip to Washington, D.C., and it was so much fun. Just imagine your eighth grade self with all of your close friends in a brand new city, just having the best old time. We were there for like an entire week. But I remember the first night I experienced room running out for me. Um, we were all, you know, getting paired up to go sleep in different rooms in the hotel. And I remember I just had this, this tight-knit group of friends, and we just did everything together. We loved each other. But I remember um, I got to the hotel a little late. I was in the van behind. And, you know, I show up to the room where all my friends are at, and I'm so excited. We're going we're gonna to party all night as eighth graders, whatever partying for eighth graders looks like. And I remember showing up to the room so excited. We're going to sleep together. We're going to stay up all night. We're going to watch TV. We're going to do this and that. And I remember showing up to the room and very quickly realizing there's no room for me. And so my friend, he's like, I'm sorry, man. All the beds are taken. Um, there's no room for you here. 
I remember walking away so sad as an eighth grader that I couldn't be with my friends and I had to hang out with people that I really didn't want to hang out with or be with on this trip. And I think all of us to some degree or extent have experienced room running out for us, us feeling left out or excluded because there was no more room left. And Advent, the main story actually revolves around Joseph and Mary and Jesus who knew this feeling all too well. If we go to Luke chapter 2, 4 through 7, just going to read it for you. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I tell you what, man, having a kid changes everything. I see the story so differently. I really feel for Mary and Joseph and Jesus now that we've had a kid. You know, I think about the day that Krista went into labor. It was like an hour before community groups was about to start. And at the time, we we're doing virtual community groups. And I just decided I want to take a quick nap before community groups. And in the middle of my nap, I feel a tap on my shoulder. I look up, and it's Krista. And she says, um, Mickey, I think my water broke. And, you know, I'm kind of just coming out of sleep like, oh, yeah, your water broke. Your water broke? And I'm up and I'm looking at her like, Krista, are you sure your water broke? She's like, I think? I don't know. I'm like, how do you not know if your water broke? Like, did your water break or did your water Like, what's going on? And I'm starting to freak out. And, you know, she's like, okay, let's wait 20 minutes. You know, I read online that you could find out. And these are the things I'm going to do to find it. So just get, let's just chill for a little bit. And in my mind, my mind's racing. I'm thinking of all the things we need to do. You know, the, this is a week earlier than we expected. There's so many things we have yet to prepare. And so I'm waiting 20 minutes. In my mind, I'm frantically pacing back and forth. Like, what's going to happen? So I'm like, all right, let, let me at least take a shower. And so I'm doing all these things. And finally, after 20 minutes, she's like, yep, it's time. And as soon as she said that, I just went into beast mode. And, you know, it's so busy. We're frantically packing. And Krista's moaning and groaning. The contractions. And we're just, we're just, it's just this utter chaos. And trying to get to the hospital, we hop into the car. We almost forgot our dog. We actually left him behind because we had no time. And we asked our sister-in-law to come and take care of him. So Fig, just the child that was left behind, will forever be remembered as that. And we drove all the way across the city, all the way to Geary to go to the hospital. And I imagine in the chaos of all that and preparing and packing to give birth between the groans of pain and heavy breathing and driving across the city to get to the hospital. I imagine, I can't imagine how devastating, how terrifying it would be if we showed up to the hospital and they said, I'm sorry, there's no room for you here. What do you want me to do, bro? You want me to go to Target? You want me to give birth at Target? Like, what are we going to do here? And let alone, I can't imagine what it was like for Mary and Joseph and Jesus 2,000 years ago before Uber and Lyft and technology and hospitals, and let alone they were teenagers. Like, I I don't know how I would have responded as a teenager, but this is exactly what Mary and Joseph and Jesus experienced. It was the savior of the world coming into a world that had no room for him. And I wonder how many of us are waiting for Jesus 
to show up in our lives, for Jesus to come, when in reality we actually have no room for him in our lives. It's like Jesus is trying to move in our families, in our job situation, in our inner discontent, but, but he can't because every room of our hearts are already occupied and we just have no room. Church, hear me. The life of Jesus is available to anyone and everyone, but it's only those who are willing to intentionally make room for him, to receive him, who actually experience that life. And this is precisely why we've crafted our rule of life for 2022. We know how busy life gets. And it's not for a lack of desire that holds us back from experiencing Jesus in our lives. Who doesn't want more Jesus in their lives? Who doesn't want to experience that life? We all do. But we need help, a structure to help us make room for Jesus in our lives. It's not for a lack of desire. It's simply a lack of room of intentional space. Our lives are far too busy, too packed, and too preoccupied for Jesus to come in. And this is why we're doing a rule of life. We need help. Church, I need help. I'm a pastor and I need help. I need a structure. I need a trellis, which is the word that rule comes from, a trellis that helps a plant grow and bear fruit. We all need that in our lives to intentionally make space for Jesus. Listen, I've, I've learned, I've been in this game for a while, but I've learned that the only true difference between those who live inspiring lives of faith and those who live uninspiring lives is this question, are you willing to make room for Jesus? I was, um, we were in New York, really, because I'm part of this cohort. It's about 100 pastors from cities like San Francisco, uh, led by really world-class leaders like John Mark Comer, Dave Lomas from Reality SF, John Tyson. And it's just this amazing crew of pastors that I've gone really close with. But, but at the same time, it's a group of pastors, you know? And sometimes I walk into this room at these events, and I'm thinking, like, what do I have to contribute? Like, what am I going to say to a pastor that he hasn't heard already or that he says to his congregation? Like, this, I, I really don't know what to do here. But I remember at the end of our event in New York, I was getting ready to leave and walk out. Um, and, but there was someone sitting down, um, someone who I'd, you know, gotten to know over the past few months in this cohort, where I just felt like, man, I feel like I got a word for him. But in my, in my heart, I had no room for it. I was like, ah, but, you know, we're at a, pa- these are all pastors. Like, they all know how to play. They, they're fine. And I was so close to walking out, but I felt this challenge. Mickey, are you willing to make room for me? Are you willing to make space for me even beyond your doubts, even beyond your busyness? I know you want to get home to your wife and get pizza here in New York, but are you willing to make room and leave space for me to move? And so I said, all right, Jesus, yes. And so I walked up to him and I was like, bro, I just feel like I got this word for you. I see this image of you sitting down and there's all these little pieces and that are laying before you, but you don't know how they connect. It's like they're Lego blocks, but they weren't meant to fit into each other. And you have all of these pieces that are needed in your life, but you just don't know how to assemble it. But I saw in a vision that God, he came as a light and he illuminated the pieces one more time. He gave you clarity and wisdom. And all of a sudden something clicked in your mind. You were able to piece these pieces together to form what you needed for yourself and for your community. And you know, I'm thinking he's a pastor. 
he's going to be like, thanks, bro, like encouraging word and just walk away. But, but I look down, he's sobbing. There's so many tears in his eyes. And, you know, I'm done praying for him. And I'm like, hey, did that word resonate? I'm asking like it didn't because, you know, he's like weeping. He's like profusely crying. But he looks up at me and said, you have no idea. You have no idea. For the past year, I've taken over the lead pastor role in my church. And this past year has been a journey of trying to reform our values and our mission and our vision. And I feel like I have all of these pieces these words, these phrases, these ideas, these values, but I don't know how they fit together. And I was feeling so discouraged over the past few months, but this is the word that I needed for this new year, that God is going to help me piece together these pieces that don't seem to fit. And as I was leaving, I was so blown away that I could have just walked away I could have said, God, I have no more room for you today. I'm full. I got to go home. I have no more room for you because these pastors have it all together. They don't need my help. And this person could have missed out on that breakthrough. And I could have missed out in that encouraging God moment. Will you make space and room for Jesus in your life? Let's be real. We've all tried it without him. You've tried it. Come on. We've all done it without him. What would it look like if we tried, really tried, to make intentional space and room for Jesus in this new year? I believe it's going to make all the difference. But we see the second thing, that Jesus came for, came to a world that had no room for him. And the one the world had no room for makes room for the entire world. The one that had no room to even be birthed into this world, we find, makes room for the entire world. Through all the accounts of Jesus' birth, his narrative found in the Gospels, think about who was actually there in the room where it happened. You know, right there in that room, in this narrative, who was actually there? We see middle-aged teenagers, or Middle Eastern teenage girl, Middle Eastern teenage boy. In Luke's account, we have shepherds that came from afar. In Matthew's account, we have magi who are essentially royalty. They were kings. And we have a baby Jesus. You know, under normal conditions, uh, you would never see kings and shepherds together in a room. Yet in the story, we have young and old, rich and poor, esteemed and outcasted, all together in one room. This is powerful. See, Jesus doesn't just reserve room in his heart to love only some, only the people that are convenient to love or the people that are like him or the people that make him feel comfortable, but he makes room in his heart to love anyone and everyone. Black, brown, and white, rich and poor, gay or straight, Democrat or Republican, Hufflepuff or Slytherin, he makes room to love every single person. You know, someone in our CG this last season said the most hilarious, but also the most true thing ever. He said, church is the only place in the world where you're forced to build family with people you don't like or that you would otherwise never hang out with. And I thought that was so hilarious and no truer words have been spoken. And it's like, what's the point? Like, why do we do that? Why do we tolerate 
trying to build family and community. It feels like those puzzle pieces not fitting together sometimes, doesn't it? In the communities that we're in. But this is why we look at this story. Our Savior made room for every single person in the world, despite their differences, despite whether they were likable or not. He made room in his heart for everyone. There's something powerful about a Savior who makes room for those who have no room in our world. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but that person that you don't like in your community group or that you don't get along with at church, what if this is the only place that they have potential to experience belonging? What if we are like that last chance, that last bit of hope for them to experience family? Because nowhere else in the world have they been accepted. Nowhere else have they found belonging. What if we are that last line to say, here, you can experience belonging. Out there, we understand because of your personality or this or that or your wounds or just the way that you're built. Maybe you won't, you're not accepted out there, but, but here, everyone is welcome. Those who don't belong, those who we have no space for in our busy lives, fast-paced lives, We have space for you here. We have room for you here. This is what the story of Advent inspires us to. There's this fantastic quote by Thomas Merton, who's an amazing church father, and he says this, into this world, this demented inn, in which there is absolutely no room for him at all, Christ has come uninvited. But because he cannot be at home in it, because he is out of place in it, and yet he must be in it. His place is with those others for whom there is no room. His place is with those who do not belong, who are rejected by power because they are regarded as weak, those who are discredited, who are denied the status of persons, tortured, exterminated. With those for whom there is no room, Christ is present in this world. Come on. If the Christmas story reminds us of anything, it's this. Love makes room. If you don't remember anything else from this message, this is it. This is the tagline. Love makes room. It makes room for those we ordinarily would have no space for in our busy lives and schedules. It makes room for those who make us feel uncomfortable. It makes room for those who are inconveniencing us. It makes room for the other. And I wonder what Jesus would say to those who would deny refugees and immigrants at our borders, saying we have no room in our country for you. I wonder what Jesus would say to those in our churches who would say, we have no room for you. You can come attend our service, but you can't make our inner circle. You can't serve in this way or that way because of your theology or your sexual orientation or your theology or your political ideologies, whatever. I wonder what Jesus would say when we say, we have no room for you here because you are different or because it's so hard to love you or it's so hard to like you or you just don't seem to fit here. I wonder what Jesus would say. You know, the older I get, I find myself getting more and more settled into who my people are. And maybe you experience this too, like something happens in your 30s, and I'm turning 35 next year. I know I don't look it, but I'm, I'm getting old. And I find the older I get, I get more and more comfortable. And I almost fall into this trap where it's like, all right, I got my set people. 
I, I got my close friends. And there's almost a sense that I don't have any more room in my heart for more. You experienced that? Maybe during this pandemic, it revealed more of that than ever before, that you have your set crew, you have your set people, and there's just this temptation to feel like and think, I don't need to invest in new relationships. I already have my ride or dies. I already have my people. I already have my Ron and Hermione. I already have them. But when I look at the life of Jesus, I see a man who never ran out of room in his heart to welcome another into his love. What would it look like, church, to never run out of room in our hearts to welcome another in? To say, you, I have space in my life for you. I have love reserved for you. And it's not that, you know, having your close friends, that's a beautiful thing. And you should hold on to that. You should cherish that. But what I'm challenging you to is not closing off your heart and saying, I'm content. The world needs you to have an open heart. San Francisco needs you to have a heart that has made room to love others. Love makes room. I wonder if this season God is asking us to make room in our hearts, not only for him, but for the other. Who are the ones in your life God is challenging you to make room for in this season? Maybe it's that family member who you haven't gone along with all pandemic. Maybe it's that friend you've grown distant with over the past few years. Maybe it's that person struggling on the street right outside of your apartment that you see every single day. Maybe it's that person with a completely different political affiliation or theology or ideology. Maybe it's this community. You know, I just want to name something here. I know for many of us, this last year, these last two years, it's been incredibly difficult because two years ago, we made room and we invested our heart and our soul into so many people here at 99. But but over the past few years, many people have uprooted and moved to different cities like Portland and New York and Los Angeles. And there's almost a sense that I'm tired I've done it. Like I've made room in my heart. I've invested in all of these relationships and I've loved, I've loved Pastor Mickey, but they're all gone. And there's this, there's this feeling of exhaustion that I don't know if I have it in me to do it again. And first of all, I just want to say, I want to name it. I understand. I feel it. I feel the exact same thing that you're feeling. I know what you're going through, and it's hard, and it sucks. But at the same time, I I wonder, I wonder if Jesus in this new year is saying to us, I think it's time. I think it's time to open up your heart again. I think it's time to make room, to invest not in the people that have been here, but in the new people that have come. And there are so many ones in our city. There are so many rebels and runaways that are looking for a home that won't find it unless you're willing to make room. And this is the beautiful thing about making room to love others. It's not just that you did the right thing in Jesus' eyes and you could say, I did right by God. But the beautiful thing about making room for others is that you invite all of the beauty and the gifts that everyone brings with them. 
you know, the Magi came bearing gifts, you know, frankincense and myrrh and gold. And this was gifts that the entire room could enjoy. I don't know if, you know, they were sprinkling myrrh and frankincense everywhere, but, but these were gifts that everyone can enjoy. And there are gifts, the presence of people that are coming into our communities that we get to enjoy if we would open up our hearts and make room for them. I mean, just think about it. who knew two years ago that I would need Dan and Paulette and Natasha and Fatai in my life. Who knew even one year ago how much Ian and Joseph would contribute to our community? Who knew that even six months ago before I left for paternity and I came back to a church with half the people I didn't recognize that Austin and Joanna and Michelle and Jerry and all of these people would bring so much into our family church. I believe that God is challenging us. Love makes room. Can we be a people who are willing to make room, not only for Jesus, but for one another? Can we be a church that would make room for those, all of those that Jesus made room for? Can we open our hearts to one another in this season? Can we be a people, an Advent people that make room for the world? I want to close by praying this Advent prayer by this really phenomenal theologian, Walter Brueggemann. And so why don't we pray and close with this Advent prayer? In our secret yearnings, we wait for your coming. And in our grinding despair, We doubt that you will. And in this privileged place, we are surrounded by witnesses who yearn more than we do and by those who despair more deeply than do we. Look upon your church and its pastors in this season of hope, which runs so quickly to fatigue and in the season of yearning, which becomes so easily quarrelsome. Give us the grace and the impatience to wait for your coming to the bottom of our toes, to the edges of our fingertips. We do not want our several worlds to end. Come in your power and come in your weakness, in any case, and make all things new. Amen. Amen. Love makes room.